Hello, and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Bend, Oregon, a source of healing according to Bendable, which is a psilocybin treatment center. They led a man with obsessive compulsive disorder, 71 years old, through an exercise where he took fungi containing psilocybin, magic mushrooms was used to be the name, and helped him through a six-hour experience, after which he reported feeling significant release from his problems with OCD. And so there is about a $500 million industry investigating whether or not psychedelics uh, can help treat uh, various aspects or manifestations of mental illness. You know, if you remember Dr. Timothy Leary back in the 60s, a Harvard scientist advised to tune in, turn on, and drop out, as he experienced with, again, psychedelics, which I think was LSD at the time, and uh, reported his experiences that were deeply spiritual experiences. So can you fix or heal someone with something? Can you heal the human condition with something? Maybe not always yes, but certainly about some things, obviously not. And so let's talk about uh, therapy, therapeutic services, the gospel, especially the difficult gospel for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I got onto the story about uh, bendable in use of uh, psilocybin for treatment of OCD. And I thought, oh my gosh, here we go again. I've noticed that bell bottoms are making a comeback. And having lived through the 60s, though mostly as a child, and that more uh, memorably, uh, the aftermath in the 70s, I thought, gosh, what's this all about? So I read the article, and I think it's true that you cannot out of hand poo-poo the use of psychedelics to deal with mental illness. Mental illness, as I understand it notoriously, is one of those human afflictions that are rooted to some extent in a brain chemistry, and it may vary depending on what the, the, the symptoms are, but that uh, the use of drugs for curing mental disease has uh, been a very difficult thing for American pharmaceuticals, I think pharmaceutical industry worldwide. It was explained to me once by someone who I think really did understand what the problem is, is, you know, if you're going to do something in physics, you measure it in a different way. You're measuring a prism of light and how light's thrown or how fast something goes. But the problem of depression OCD, psychotic behavior, these kinds of uh, deeply rooted mental illness is that when you treat them with drugs, there may actually be some positive therapeutic effect to some of these treatments. But the problem that scientists investigating the brain have is that to determine whether or not any particular drug, a psilocybin or whatever it might be, uh, what effect that it has on the human person really depends so much on what the person reports. Maybe not totally, but boy, it makes me feel good or it makes me feel worse or there's no change. 
And if you've ever had uh, the opportunity to accompany somebody who's going through a deep bout of clinical depression uh, and just feels unreachable, as they go through the whole order of the drugs that they deal with and their doctor is telling them, well, this is the very last thing we can try that we know about, you know, just more reasons to be depressed because with all drugs, there's a placebo effect. And for people who desperately want to get better, um, that can actually color their response to their doctor who's testing whether or not a particular drug works. But you know, when it comes to psychedelics, it, it isn't just this narrow, and I hope a successful use of psychedelics to help people with OCD and having worked with people who have obsessive compulsive disorder, it's a tremendously distressing order for people. If it brings some release, well, it'd be interesting or some comfort, it'd be interesting to see where this research can go. But it made me think about how the whole notion of psychedelics is fit into these larger cultural understandings, especially about God and healing. You know, it's one thing to no longer feel uh, compelled not to step on a crack in order that you won't break your mother's back. And OCD can manifest in ways that would not make sense to you and me about the way people fear about their own behavior and at this loop that kind of goes on in their brains. But that the idea that drugs cure a human person, that is too much to expect of a drug. Uh, and sometimes psychedelics have been used in the American experience to suggest um, that this is where the experience of God originated because it reduces God to at least how some people understand God is to simply a consolation, someone that makes you feel better in a bad situation. The person you love dies and you find consolation that this person lives forever with Jesus in heaven. Well, it is true, it is consoling, but gosh, there's still a lot of grief to deal with. And really what the belief in God brings to us is the reality of the human condition or dependence on God, the importance of the moral order and striving for virtue, and fundamentally hope. Because belief in God is like belief in anything, uh, which is mostly everything that human beings take as facts, is that the belief motivates behavior um, to love the poor because Jesus loved the poor. And so in the Judeo-Christian experience, Belief in God doesn't reduce to a drug that makes you feel better. You know, here's a really good example that I came across that I wanted to, uh, to remind you of. And the article now is about 15 years old, published in Forbes in March 5th, 2008. And what it says is that everybody thinks they know the story of Moses, the biblical prophet, who led the Hebrews out of Egypt over 3,000 years ago and into the promised land of Israel. But new research from Israel, I always like that when they say, and new research now suggests, which is a meaningless statement, that Moses' divinely inspired visions from the burning bush to the smoke and trumpet blast that shook Mount Sinai were not so much holy as hallucinogenic. A new study by Israeli professors, they always make it sound like it's actual science. Benny Shannon of Jerusalem's Hebrew University 
reportedly shows that two plants in the Sinai Desert have a similar molecular structure to a powerful plant concoction from the Amazon rainforest. The Amazonian brew is used for shamanic and medicinal purposes in the Amazon. Its potent hallucinogenic effect led beat poet Allen Ginsberg. Can you ever get far from Allen Ginsberg when you're talking about psychedelics? To imagine that he was vomiting a snake. And so that Moses was tripping, man. And so the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, some manna from the desert, all these stories really was a big box that the Israelites were carrying their stash in. And so as they went through the Jordan River, the Red Sea, they imagined they were walking on dry land when really they were all naked with flowers in their hair. And then the stories of Judges, Joshua, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd King, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, all the prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, follows. It all falls apart because apparently um, whatever goes up must come down. And so that the idea that you explain religious experience and the Judeo-Christian tradition from psychedelics, I always thought... uh, Gosh, what a crazy world we live in. But hey, we're back to bell bottoms. And so what is the difference between religion, how you and I think about God and our relationship with God, and simply the idea that uh, it's some kind of consolation, some kind of high uh, that makes us experience the supernatural when really we're just our brain chemistry, not buying And I'd like to talk about the gospel in Matthew chapter 18. Hey man, I'm back. And so we're in Matthew 18 and we're encountering reality, not a drug trip. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That's why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed a huge amount. And since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all of his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. That was my dramatic voice. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back but he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers till he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. So the 
it's something more than a bad trip, I would suggest to you. Although it's interesting in the article, it did note that not every time someone takes psilocybin uh, that it uh, is a pleasurable or meaningful experience. Sometimes it's terrifying. And what tracks that is when you talk to people who have near-death experiences, you always hear about these positive experiences of being loved and no longer afraid of death. And that's real. But there are also people who come back and they had horrible experiences at death, very mysterious. What saves us from the idea that our lives are simply a mental event, which is what the Gnostics would, would suggest, that there's a reality outside of ourselves that we're encountering and that God is that healing reality, um, is the experience of Jesus, the incarnate God. It's why we Catholics say we know something. And why does Jesus talk about the, Peter's question the way that he does? So remember Peter asks, and there's two parts of this gospel. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven times, Peter asks. And then the second part is about the king who ultimately takes this wicked servant and hands him over to the torturers. And so what I want to talk about is that the two things this gospel is about, which is about forgiveness and ultimately about purgatory, because a similar story is also told in Luke, because this is Jesus' very Jewish understanding of life after death and how it's not about feel good, but it's how we change and how we change affects about how we interact with the world. So anyway, let's go to the Old Testament that's behind this gospel. See, understanding the biblical background of Jesus' teaching provides the basis for understanding Peter's question about how many times you have to forgive. And it's right in Genesis. And so after the fall of Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. You know this story. Cain slew Abel and was banished by God. Cain was worried that he'd be subjected to revenge. Guilty conscience, thinking now bad things are going to happen to me. This is the, the uh, emotional root, if not the cause of. It's the emotional root of people with OCD and feeling that they can never be forgiven, never be clean, that they're always just going to be pestered, the Greeks would say, by the Furies and scourged with snakes. Um, but Cain's question to God in chapter 4 is, uh, you know, everyone's going to want to kill me, to which God responds. If anyone tries to take vengeance on Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. Genesis chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. So that's what God says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, it's not ours in life to even up the score or decide what other people deserve. Not everybody has the same zero starting point. That's why when we talk about religion, um, it's not some kind of middle-class bourgeois um, equation about if you do this, this, and this, then this is the reward. Uh, it's all rooted in the mercy of God. Uh, and it isn't about feel good because what is going to be suggested in this story is to get to where we need to be as human beings is like walking through fire. Um, but here's what the story of Cain going on about uh, forgiveness seven times, about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Five generations later, count him, his great times five grandson named Lamech boasted that he could do better than God on his own. The idea of vengeance is mine. And so in Genesis chapter 4, 23 to, uh, verses 23 to 24, Lamech, who is uh, 
of the line of Cain said to his wives, Adon, Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my utterance. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seven, 77 times. And so God's responding to Lamech in Jesus when he says, you forgive 77 times. And so Cain was a murderer. God protected him from revenge. But boy, that murderous attitude just went on generation after generation. So what's the takeaway from this forgive 77 times? Um, you know, I like to point out, because I think it's the truth that the gospel talks about, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. They are intimately connected, but they're not identical concepts. You should know that because they are spelled differently. Uh, forgiveness, you give something for. Reconciliation, the cilia, which is our eyelashes, means re-eyelashing. You can look someone else in the eye. Just you, because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you'll be reconciled to them. But in order to get to that place where you can look your fellow servant in the eye, something has to happen. And so Jesus talks about what that something is and why it is that God does not reduce to simply a psychedelic experience of supernatural experience. God has lived when we live like God lives. God doesn't take vengeance on Cain. He lets it play out over five generations. Um, but there are consequences to sin, and uh, obviously uh, it, it has its own punishments associated with it. Um, but Jesus said to his disciple, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Do you remember that from last week? And then take two or three witnesses, and then go to the church. But that process of seeking forgiveness is about um, increasing the witness of the community um, to, to the person who is the offender. Um, sometimes it takes 15 years, as I pointed out uh, last week with the story from The Prodigal You Love by Sister Teresa Noble. It takes a while for people to come to that, and that's also what this story is about. And so the Holy Spirit and how it is we experience forgiveness um, the Holy Spirit is, as St. Augustine says, the light by which we see. And so the experience of God isn't this vision of bright lights or in that story I told you about the so-called expert from Israel that said Moses may have been tripping when he saw the burning bush or the, the cloud in the storm at, at Sinai. Um, that really isn't the, the reality of, of, of how Moses sees God, or I shouldn't say it reduces to that. It's this whole experience of our dependence on God. Moses dealing with his own anger in that whole story of the people of Israel. You know, when you live in a moralistic culture, and we live in a very moralistic culture that's very rules-driven, and there are reasons for that coming out of the Enlightenment that American culture gets like that. But the Catholic culture is different. The Catholic culture talks about forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's why Jesus says, you know, if you're coming to the altar and you, your brother has something against you, first 
be reconciled to your brother, then bring your gift to the altar. Because forgiveness is how we pursue eternal salvation. Purgatory, which is the second part of this story, which is about, remember the king, he has a servant who owes him a great amount, going to put him and his wife and kids in prison. This is a harsh king. And, um, and, and the man says, please forgive me, please, I'll pay you back. And so he says, forgives him. And then he turns around and persecutes his fellow servants. Well, it's the community that reports it to the king, right? How other people talk about us. This is what happens and why the king turns on this servant that was forgiven by him and says, I'm going to hand you over to the torturers and you won't be released until you pay it back in full. Some of us, as St. Paul says, really only come to God as through fire. That God keeps reaching out to us. And that's why the best way to think about God is not a supernatural experience or a psychedelic experience or fundamentally even the experience of consolation. The best way to think about God is as fire, like the burning bush, which is this fire present in nature, but it doesn't consume nature. God is present in nature, but he is not nature. That's the uh, experience of Moses in the burning bush. Um, the cloud that comes down on Sinai and with, that contains fire again, lightning and rumbling. The mystery of God. Um, what happens when you have to reduce everything to a brain event? And so how is it that human beings come to God? Um, you know, I hope your experience is kind of like mine. I think about God and my relationship with the Lord very differently now at 67 than I did at 17. And I think I understand what we're punching, pushing my buttons at 17. And there was no drug trip that was going to make that trip for me. And so that the idea that drugs replaces God or this is how you encounter God I always ask when you're dealing with people that contend something like that or they're talking about being an atheist, I always ask them, what's the God you don't believe in? Please describe him for me. And it better look like Jesus in chapter 18 because of Matthew because he's telling you how you experience God's presence in you. You forgive because God forgives and you're to be the image and likeness of God. So there may be a great reason to experiment with psychedelics, right? Uh, if they bring some relief to people who can feel no relief because of o OCD or clinical depression or whatever the mental struggles they have are. But let's not reduce God to simply an experience, a relationship, how we live. And so let's just bring all of this together, this wild trip we have shared together. We'll pull on our bell-bottom jeans, we'll put on our tie-dyed t-shirts, put flowers in our hair, and we'll listen to the exciting conclusion of Oral Valley Catholic. James Joyce, in his famous novel, A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, uh, recounts this uh, retreat he that the uh, person in the book, the protagonist, claims to be on where a Jesuit uh, talks about the punishing God. You know, Joyce was a famous modernist author, um, was a Catholic, pretty much disconnected from the church, but never really stopped thinking like a Catholic. 
Um, I mean, it's the problem of, of emphasizing punishment, uh, like in the story of 18, that God is a punisher. God is fire in hell, God is fire in purgatory, and God is fire in heaven. One's perceived as punishment, the other is refining, the third is the passion of being united to God. But it's all the same God, fire. But here's how he experienced it. He says as a young man, when he, I think he's doing what Irish generally do, blowing up a story to make it even better. But this is this Jesuit priest talking about hell. In earthly prisons, the poor captive has at least some liberty of movement, were it only within the four walls of his cell or the gloomy yard of his prison. Not so in hell. There, by reason of the great number of the damned, the prisoners are heaped together in their awful prison, the walls of which are said to be 4,000 miles tick, and the damned are so utterly bound and helpless that, as a blessed saint, Saint Anselm, writes in his book on the similitudes, they are not even able to remove from the eye a worm that gnaws it. James Joyce, Portraits of an Artist as Young Man, Chapter 3. Um... Now, there's something that's an experience, I guess, of the, of the mean God. But uh, to reduce that kind of thinking to either this trippy experience described by a bendable in Oregon, which I don't think they're really making that claim, but others have, uh, or um, the Catholic, it says, oh, fire and brimstone preaching, that's all I got. I always think it's such nonsense. But people just need to have their experience but you don't reduce God to it. People who believe that they have gotten these ideas of God that make God vicious, you know, you have the obligation to seek the truth on your own instead of using other people's failings as your reason for not believing in God. St. Augustine, who is great, wrote The City of God, one of the longest books ever written. And in the sixth book of The City of God, here is how St. Augustine describes God the Holy Spirit. For no one would say that he had served the interests of a fountain by drinking from it, or he'd served the interests of a light by using it to see. What's he trying to say? We love God when we, in a human way, try to love something like how God loves. That just I take a drink from a fountain, that that serves it, and I don't do anything with it. Well, once my drink is, my thirst is quenched, Bring others so that they can have a drink. Or, as Augustine would say, when you use the light to see, share that light with other people. And so how do we do that more than anything else? It's how we forgive and how we understand reconciliation. So in the gospel, Jesus tells us this whole idea of vengeance or always holding grudges. It's a dead end whether you're holding a grudge against someone who really injured you or this Jesuit priest that preached this awful homily about God. Get over it. Everybody has the obligation of pursuing the truth, and the truth is there to be seen in Catholic teaching. So God says, or Jesus says, and it's in Matthew 13, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Why? How can you forgive others in any meaningful sense or seek forgiveness if you don't understand ultimately 
that it's rooted in the mercy of God. God does not boil down to a psychedelic experience. You know, Walker Percy, in his book, Lost in the Cosmos, a great book, said, why do people take drugs? And he says, because they make them feel better and life is hard. Well, that's it. Life is hard and boy, a scotch, a cigar, or psychedelics can make you feel better. Or you can have a bad trip. The problem is being a human being. And it won't change. The vision doesn't change in our lives until we understand that forgiveness is simply our choice not to be sucked into the darkness of another. Reconciliation is when I and the person who has hurt me by the same light see the truth in our, recon in our, in our lives and can see clearly into each other's eyes. You know, I hope that research into psychedelics really does help people with depression or OCD or any other mental illness. Uh, I don't know how to evaluate any of that, but boy, these diseases of the mind have proved to be intractable. But that in itself is not the experience of God. You still have to deal with the human, the human witness, the human being. How will God judge me and judge somebody who's uh, afflicted with some kind of brain chemistry that uh, creates these problems in his life? Well, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be held to a different standard. Uh, and so I'd better try to live by the light and the gifts that God has given me. I urge you to do that. And to help you think about that, I'm going to give you some trippy music, man, to listen to as this version of Oro Valley Catholic comes uh, comes comes to an end. So, you know, I'd say tune in to God, turn off the sin, and open your heart uh, to life eternal.